Hello and welcome to the 2023 BMJ Sexually Transmitted Infections podcast series. I'm Fabiola Martin, the BMJ STI podcast editor, a sexual health and HIV specialist based in Australia and lecturer at School of Public Health at University of Queensland. Before I continue, I wish to acknowledge the uh, traditional custodians and owners of the land on which James Ward and Claire North and myself are gathering here today, the Turbo and Yagara people here in uh, Brisbane and Brisbane region. Today we will focus on the worsening syphilis epidemic worldwide. Syphilis is a bacteria that infects humans and is transmitted horizontally through clothes, sexual contact and vertically to unborn babies and neonates. It can cause acute and severe illness in those affected, such as neurosyphilis, and have tragic consequences for mother and baby. With the discovery of penicillin, access to testing, and especially public health interventions such as regular testing of asymptomatic sexually active people and routine antenatal testing, we thought we could slay the beast so that one day syphilis would be discussed in dedicated history podcasts. Alas, over the last decade, we have seen what seems an unstoppable rise of syphilis incidents worldwide. It is time we do everything possible to tackle syphilis collectively. And so I am honored to have the opportunity to discuss this issue with Professor Claire Knowles, Pediatric Infection Specialist at the Queensland Children's Hospital and Clinical Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, Professor James Ward, Director of the Poach Institute for Indigenous Health at the University of Queensland in Brisbane. Dr. Angelica Espinosa Miranda, Director of the Coordination Unit of STI Surveillance in Brazilian Ministry of Health. And here I say good morning first to Claire. Good morning and welcome to our BMJ STI podcast today. Thank you, Fabiola. I'm very happy to be participating. Thank you, Claire, for making time for us and a warm welcome to James. Good day, James. Nice to talk to you in the country of Turbo and Yagara people. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you, James. I think I have to say good evening. Uh, Buona noche, Angelica. How are you thousands of miles away in Brazil? Thank you, Fabiola. I'm very glad to be here and participate in the discussion and I hope you have a great section. Thank you all, I'm sure we will. If I may start with Claire, our clinician who has been managing firsthand the outcomes of syphilis on mothers and babies. Claire, could you please briefly provide us with an overview as to why it is particularly dangerous to leave syphilis untreated during pregnancy? Thanks, Fabiola. Well, yes, syphilis infection in pregnancy is very serious and concerning, as there's a high rate of transmission of syphilis from an infected mother to the infant, and the repercussions then for the infant can be severe. The risk of vertical transmission from mother to infant in pregnancy is between 70 and 100% if a pregnant woman has infectious syphilis. And if it is transmitted, 30 to 40% of pregnancies will end in an adverse outcome, which could be premature delivery, fetal death, stillbirth and neonatal death, as well as other complications. It's worth noting that approximately 
two-thirds of infants who have acquired syphilis in pregnancy will be asymptomatic at birth, but will develop features of congenital syphilis in the first few months of life. And these features range from jaundice, rash, anemia, and others to fatal sepsis. And then if infants aren't diagnosed in the first year of life, they can go on to develop late features of congenital syphilis, which predominantly affect the central nervous system, system, bones and joints, teeth, eyes and skin, and can result in blindness, deafness and other defects. So congenital syphilis is very dangerous for infants and we need to do everything we can to identify and treat syphilis in the mother and baby as soon as the infection has been acquired by the mother. Is it possible to explain why we detect higher numbers of neonatal syphilis than ever before? And in your opinion, what should be done about it? Yes. Uh, I mean, during the last decade in particular, there's been a resurgence in the incidence of infectious syphilis in the community in many middle-income and high-income countries. Although I always like to note that a relative crisis has been ongoing in lower-income countries for some time. So although syphilis transmission is predominantly via the heterosexual rules in lower-income countries, in the majority of higher-income countries to date, it's been mostly concentrated in the populations of men who have sex with men. In Australia, for example, infectious syphilis was almost eradicated by the year 2000, and up until 2015, infections were largely confined to the men who have sex with men population. However, rates of infectious syphilis have increased by nearly 90% between 2015 and 2020, with much higher numbers in the heterosexual population. Much of this increase is related to a large heterosexual outbreak in North Queensland and Northern Australia among the Indigenous population, and I know James is going to talk more about that. However, recent trends reveal that syphilis notifications are also increasing in non-Indigenous men and women, particularly those of childbearing age in urban areas, and particularly in women from low socioeconomic backgrounds. Potential factors that have likely contributed to increasing syphilis cases and the re-emergence of congenital syphilis in higher income countries include an increase in high-risk sexual activities, increased travel and migration, which are factors that limit access to antenatal care, limited awareness and education amongst parents and maternity services, and others. And, and the measures required to address this changing epidemiology are complex and will need to include significant social change, which will hopefully lead to improved standards of living and education, improved knowledge of safe sexual practices, better engagement with and access to health care, and more comprehensive screening for syphilis and pregnancy. In some states of Australia, we have now introduced two routine syphilis tests for all pregnant women at 28 and at 36 weeks of gestation, so that we can identify and treat women who acquire syphilis during pregnancy. And other countries are introducing similar measures during pregnancy throughout the world. Thank you, Claire. Certainly a very complex um, area of medicine and preventative medicine, and uh, you have um, beautifully outlined where we can, you know, try to improve access. James, I would like to seek your opinion 
on the syphilis epidemic that we have seen for decades now in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of Australia. How severely are people affected by syphilis? Yes, that is right, uh, Fabiola, unfortunately. And I might start this by saying back in the early to mid-2000s, uh, we'd seen significant decreases in infectious syphilis among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to a point uh, that we were advocating for increased efforts to eliminate infectious syphilis. At one point in the mid-2000s, in 2009, uh, we had 120 uh, nine cases notified nationally among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, and we felt that the time was right to upscale our efforts to move towards elimination. Unfortunately, that went nowhere, and instead what we saw was an outbreak of syphilis in one of our Australian jurisdictions at around the same time that public health services in that jurisdiction had almost been uh, decimated because of budgetary constraints. This meant that the ability to respond to that outbreak wasn't optimal. And then this outbreak went on and proceeded to be what we now know as the Northern Australian outbreak, uh, with almost 5,000 cases attributable to this outbreak, occurring among mostly uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people aged 15 to 29 years of age, living in some of our most remote uh, communities. And so after a slow response, despite much advocacy taken up by multiple jurisdictions, in fact, there was a four-year lag before um, a multi-jurisdictional syphilis outbreak committee was convened. Strategies then started to be put in place around surveillance, case definitions, guidelines, and special initiatives such as rolling out point-of-care testing and a Commonwealth test and treat strategy. Um, these rates continue to be high in remote Australia, and overall, the differences in diagnosis are eight times higher than non-Indigenous Australians, even in 2022. But what we're now seeing is the epidemiology change with syphilis, and over the last two years, we've seen uh, significant increases in syphilis uh, in major cities of Australia and particularly among Aboriginal people aged 15 to 24 years of age, and among women of reproductive ages in the major cities. And in relation to congenital syphilis cases, 63 cases um, have been notified in Australia between 2016 and 2022, and 34 of those 63 cases were reported in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander infants. Uh, 26 were non-Indigenous, and remembering that just 3% of the total uh, Australian population are Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander. So in actual fact, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander infants are disproportionately represented in the notification data with rates um, per 100,000 live births on average 20 times that of non-Indigenous uh, infants. 18 congenital syphilis-associated deaths were reported between 2016 and 2022, and 12 of those 18 were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander infants. Clearly, what we've been doing is not enough. Yeah, thank you, James. I must say, um, listening to you, I'm trying to remember my training, and it was always in the books. Congenital syphilis was something we, we saw in books. Thank you for the, for the summary. And in your opinion, what needs to happen to reduce the incidence of this infection in this key population? 
Yeah, so I think what tends to happen uh, with uh, these outbreaks is that we tend to put a biomedical approach to solving uh, what are complex social, uh, structural, political determinants driving uh, these outbreaks, particularly in marginalised populations. And so if as we move forward, I really think we need to think very carefully uh, with an equity lens. Uh, I've just said that... Um, uh, two-thirds of the congenital syphilis cases uh, and deaths are Aboriginal in Torres Strait Islander, and eight times the rate of uh, infectious syphilis occurs among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And actually what I think we do need is an equity lens and thinking about the potency of the interventions that we're currently rolling out. They haven't been sufficient enough to bring it under control, um, despite uh, being in place for about six or seven years now. And I think the solution that's been suggested, um, a test and treat, and primarily using point of care, hasn't been sufficient enough. Of course, that's important, but so is education of the population in terms of preventing syphilis. We also need to talk um, um, in terms of preventing congenital syphilis. Um, we absolutely need to talk to fathers-to-be. It goes without saying that we have, have to have a really thorough and in-depth look at the current workforce situation uh, in Australia, the medical and nursing workforce situation in Australia, particularly servicing uh, remote and regional areas. We have to fix up these structural determinants of health that impact on, on, on syphilis. Um, and I actually think um, a heightened awareness among our health services in urban communities is really where we need to be right now. Of course, all of that uh, has to be backed up with comprehensive monitoring and evaluation and available data at the local level so that people can understand how how heavy the potency of an intervention has to be to bring uh, syphilis under control. I think these broad public health approaches um, are great, but they're not enough to address uh, inequity and uh, and marginalised populations with uh, major structural and social determinants uh, at play within um, uh, with these infections. Yes, thank you, James, and um, I really appreciate that you you know used and used the term equity lens, and also uh, raised the fact, as Claire did, that we need to include supporting fathers in our you know, solution toolbox. So if I can move to Angelica now. Angelica, thank you for your patience. And I would love to hear from you where the syphilis epidemic is most problematic in South America and what root causes have enabled this infection to get out of control. Hi, Fabiola. I need to say that unfortunately, syphilis has become a growing problem in Latin America and Caribbean. And they estimated the syphilis prevalence increased significantly between 2012 and 2016 in both men and women. While the estimated global prevalence of syphilis was stable in the same period. Based on 2016 data, there are an estimated 4,600,000 persons with untreated syphilis in the Americas. And according to this Last estimated, the region of the Americas had the highest incidence rate for syphilis in both women and men. Data are around 5.3 cases per 1,000 people, which equates to more than 3 million incident cases in the region. Similarly, estimates for maternal and congenital syphilis show an increasing trend in the Americas, 
almost half of the countries that report data on pregnant women screened for syphilis showed increasing syphilis seropositive over the last two years. Congenital syphilis is a big problem in Latin America and Caribbean region. I need to say that Brazil is the leader of the syphilis cases in the region. The prevalence is higher among men who have sex with men and female sex workers. But reported data indicates that male and transgender sex workers seem to disproportionately affected by syphilis in our region. Regarding your question about what root causes for syphilis to get out of control in Latin America, I think that the main reason is the difficult access to good quality care, which sometimes misses opportunity to test and treat people who seek for the clinics. The care needs in Latin America and Caribbean to be improved to increase the inclusion of most vulnerable people and reduce stigma and discrimination. Yeah, so thank you, Angelica. This is um, really, really interesting. And to be honest with you, the numbers are overwhelming. I'm trying to imagine this. Can I ask which public health interventions the World Health Organization has implemented so far to combat syphilis? Yes, the Pan-American Health Organization supports member states in the Americas to commit to the elimination of infectious diseases. And PAHO has a special approach to the prevention of mother-to-child transmission of HIV, syphilis, hepatitis B, and Chagas disease that is a problem in our region. It tries to give a regional visibility of the problem. There is a multi-sectoral approach and a viability of political interest. There is a movement in the region to bring this discussion to the agenda. It can be mentioned that there are official documents that regulate the quality of care, development of training for multidisciplinary teams in the primary units and specialized centers, as PrEP and PEP clinics, and they are focused to improve the quality of care for people at risk for different STIs. Wow, so a lot of people are required to know what they're doing and to support especially uh, marginalized people. So that's that's very helpful, Angelica. And uh, thank you all for your insightful comments and um, conversations. We have come to the end of our podcast, but may I just ask each one of you to please part with one short take-home message for our listeners today. And if I may start with James. James, what would be your message to our listeners? Thanks, Fabiola. I might take the liberty of having one message wrapped up in three. So uh, I suppose uh, for me, if monitoring for syphilis, so testing regularly, and getting on top of an outbreak in an area if uh, it does occur to prevent widespread transmission. So really throwing everything at trying to control um, syphilis if you do have notifications in an area that they haven't been before and then try and break through stigma uh, for populations around testing and uh, treatment for syphilis and then finally um, when we're talking to prevent congenital syphilis talking to both mothers and fathers um, to prevent uh, congenital syphilis and the outcomes um, that Claire eloquently outlined uh, earlier. Thank you so much. And uh, Angelica, you would be next. What's your short message for us? Yes, Fabiola, I think we need an expansion of access to health actions and services in a universal, equitable and integral way 
And we need prioritizing key populations because we cannot leave anyone behind. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Angelica. And Claire, what would you like us to take home with us? I think a theme through this podcast has been that even if we were to optimize testing, many women have not been able to access care. And I think the biggest challenge will be to somehow find a way to improve education, access to health services for marginalized fathers and mothers so that they can take advantage of preventative and treatment measures. And we can do this. Thank you. That was a wonderful, um, you know, wrap up with a positive message to us all. And um, I want to just say uh, thank you to all three of you here with me today are Professor Claire Knowles, Pediatric Infectious Specialist at the Queensland Children's Hospital and Clinical Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Queensland in Brisbane. Professor James Ward, Director of Poaching Centre for Indigenous Health at University of Queensland. And Dr. Angelica Espinosa, Miranda, Director of Coordination Unit of STI Surveillance in the Brazilian Ministry of Health, based in Brazil. So, in summary, we discuss the worsening global syphilis epidemic in key populations in Australia and South America. We learn that we need to try harder to reach and support not only marginalized women, but also men to test for syphilis in order to prevent the vertical transmission of syphilis. We also learn that syphilis prevention programs must aim to reduce inequities of access to care for marginalized people in particular. Many thanks to our listeners. Please feel free to enjoy our previous episodes on your preferred platforms, Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Also, my special thanks to our wonderful BMJ podcast team. We will be back again soon with another 2023 BMJ STI podcast episode. Until then, goodbye and stay safe.